It is so good to be here with all of you this morning. To locate our place in the, in the Word, last week, Pastor John started us on the second half of the book of Nehemiah. And at this point, what we have seen is it's about the wall. Let's build those broken walls. Let's rebuild them. God will be with us. God will help us. God will make this happen. And the walls were rebuilt. And now, now is the time to live in light of God's great victory. And so we talked about, Pastor John talked about how the second half of the book of Nehemiah then talks about renewal and the touch of God. Do you remember his excellent illustration last week with the baseball glove? Cracked and dry at the end of winter, but then the oil being worked into it, made soft and pliable, and being renewed. And so this is a season of renewal in the lives of the people of God. And in a renewal, in a celebration, you, you know, when you have joy, you celebrate. Now, how do you celebrate is the question. Now, and this is, and what do you celebrate? Or do you celebrate as the world, world celebrates over things? So, you know, do you uh, just say, all right, this is what makes me look good in the world, and, and this is what I'm going to hold on to? Or do you have better reasons? My in-laws, when they, uh, forget what year it was, this is before I met Kim, but they had a vow renewal ceremony. So they renewed their marriage vows. Not that there was anything wrong with the original marriage vows, but they were so happy and thankful to the Lord and to each other that they gathered their friends and their families around. And this time their parents didn't pay for this. This time they paid for it. And they celebrated with a renewal of vows that said, as we have been, so much more we hope to be. Or I kind of think it's like like, uh, when someone becomes a naturalized citizen. You're still you, but now there's a new aspect of you. And you just put your hand up and you swear the the oath of an American citizen. I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign, domestic. I still remember. I was born a citizen, but you do that when you go into the military too, if anyone was wondering. Um, So... But then you get to, do you know what you do right after you do that oath? Do you know the words that you, you say and you hear? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. And so for a citizen of America, someone who wanted to become a citizen, it's a very important thing. It's a treasure. There's a celebration that this has happened. But the Bible says that everyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And so there is this renewal. And that's what we're talking about here. We're not only talking about a renewal of the people of God in ancient Israel with the walls of Jerusalem being rebuilt. But this pertains to us today. So let us see how the people of old found themselves having joy and being renewed by the touch of God that we might see how to apply that to our lives today. 
So there are three points to today's message. The word revealed shows us our sin and points us to our Savior, Jesus Christ. The word revealed shows us our sin and points us to our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you right now, don't leave before the third point because it'll be a terrible message otherwise. The book of Nehemiah, chapter 7, last half of verse 73 and chapter 8. And when the seventh month had come, the people of Israel were in their towns, and all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for uh, the purpose. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra, and Ezra blessed, the, blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, the Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And so, everyone's fine, the walls are finally built, and everyone's settled inside the city. And they celebrate. They're about to party. And what is the height of that celebration? What are they looking forward to? And it's not the great food that they're gonna eat, that they're gonna eat that we see later. It's not going to be just some the singing and dancing and all that. It is the word of God read and explained. And does that sound odd to you? That that should be the center, the pinnacle of their celebration. Well, let's, let's go back. In fact, let's go back to the very beginning. What are we talking about here with the Word of God? God is so far above us. We use the word transcendent, that He is so not like us. It's a fancy way of saying that God is God and we are not. And nothing we can do and no amount of time can pass that we will ever be like God. It's like us saying that, it's as silly as us saying that we can evolve into being the sun. There's just no connection. And apart from God reaching down and revealing himself to us, we can have absolutely nothing to do with him. But that's exactly what God did. God revealed himself. 
At the first, he revealed himself in creation. Right from the very beginning, when there was nothing but darkness, what did God do? He spoke the word of God, let there be light, and then there was. And from that point on, creation has been singing of God's glory. God reveals himself in creation, clearly, so that no one can deny him. The best that you can do is suppress the knowledge of God, but that's basically like saying, all right, I'm closing my eyes and I'm putting my hand out. There is no sun. The sun is there. And God has created it and everything else. But, even more, we might know that there is a creator God through creation. But we cannot know that he invites us into relationship with him unless he goes further, until, unless he reveals more of himself somehow. And once again, there is no way that we can bridge that gulf. There is no way that we can reason everything that there is about God just from our observations. And so God condescends. You know, that's a, for us, that's a bad word when we do it to each other. We're condescending. And, but when God does it, we have no hope unless he bends down. Like you're talking to a child. And he speaks in baby talk to us, lisping words that we might understand. And that is exactly what he has done. He has revealed himself to us through his holy word. And you see, that was the special thing about the nation of Israel. In all the world, they were the only ones with the word of God. They were the only ones that God had revealed himself and his word and his plan of salvation to. And in that way, not because of anything that they did and not because they were attractive and not because that land was particularly attractive, but because God revealed himself to them that they might be in all the world the people who worshipped him. And that was the special thing about Jerusalem, where the temple was. That's where you could go to worship God. And that was the tragedy. When the walls were broken and the people were taken over, there was no more worship. But now the walls are rebuilt. And now we see it was never about the walls. You know, it's, you, you kinda, it's like you're fooled a little bit. Build the walls, build the walls, build the walls. But then... The walls are built, and it was never about the walls, but what, took, what takes place within the walls. And the worship of God takes place within the walls. And the highest height of worship, the public reading of the word, happens within those walls. And now, mind you, these were a conquered people, and the walls were torn down for decades. And so this is the first time in over 70 years that they worshipped and that the word of God was read and preached to the people. So it's like a prisoner, you know, who spent their entire life in solitary. And finally they're out and they see the light. 
And that's exactly what Isaiah chapter 9 says, that the people were walking in darkness, and darkness covered over the land. And now the word of God, the light of God is being preached. It is being read, and that, that is the heart of their celebration. And I wonder, is that, is that our heart of celebration? You know, I, Elias and Chundia told the rest of us on, at the elders' retreat this weekend that he and Christine look forward to Sunday worship all week long, that it is the highlight of their week. I like that. And I want to have that heart where I can't wait to be with God's people, hearing the preaching of His Word, which shows Him stepping down in love for us, making the incomprehensible understandable. Because if He doesn't do it, we have no part of Him. And so truly, the people in Jerusalem had reason to rejoice. And, you know, just, we hear the word that they understood it, that everyone who could understand, and then that it was explained to everyone so that everyone could understand it clearly. And that's really important. You know, I think about the time that I spend with my daughter, Abby, teaching her math during the week, all right? There's math homework that she brings home, and then, because it's not enough, we do more math, all right? And so that she gets it. I'm not, tr- I'm not trying to, like, you know, force her to, you know, just... It's so that she can understand. She likes it. She likes being able to count coins and add them up. And so I spend that extra time with her, so that she can be confident and trust what she knows. How much more should we take time and how much more explanation does it take to teach our children about the Lord? Actually, I think some of us are on the right track. Leo Reza, one of our Sunday school kids, a couple weeks ago asked me after kids' worship, but Pastor Martin, you know, we're in the Old Testament. This was Moses why are we talking about Jesus? And I was like, oh, that's a great question. He's asking the questions. He's connecting the dots because he's hearing that we never have arrived until we arrive at Jesus. And so, parents, are you teaching your kids the word of God? Are you sharing with them the word in a way that they can understand so that they don't just arrive at a good story told? How many times do you need to hear about how Gideon took 300 guys and a trumpet blast and took out a bunch of Philistines? But connect that to how Jesus Christ has overcome every enemy and every obstacle. And now you've connected it in a way that they will hold on to. You know, I love this little uh, story, uh, kid's Bible, the Jesus Storybook Bible. Every story whispers his name. 
Are you reading the word of the Lord at all with your kids? And if you are, are you connecting that word of the Lord to our Lord and Savior? Oh, you have such a great, wonderful job before you, parents. Rejoice and be glad in it. But then, all of the people were meant to understand, and understand it clearly. Do you apply yourself to the study of the Word so that you can get more and more out of it? All right, we have home fellowship groups, and we have adult Sunday schools, and we have men's Bible study and women's Bible study. We're hosting a Bible conference here in lieu of a retreat so that we can get more people here learning about the Word of the Lord. And then it goes further. You know, how many people know what a catechism is? This is one of the documents of our church and denomination. Catechism, larger and shorter catechism. And basically all it is, fancy word for a summary of the principles of Christianity. A summary of those principles so that you can make sense. So like what we read today, what is the word for? What's special about it? Wouldn't it be able to just kind of rattle an answer off instead of fumbling around saying, well, you see, a bunch of guys wrote it, but it wasn't just the guys, it was God. And God was in them. But, you know, there was a bunch of them. And it wasn't written at one time and one place, but over a big period of time. But then people kind of collected. The catechism is great in giving you an explanation so that you, in clarity, can read the Bible understand it more, and then share it with others. Will you do that, church? Will you listen attentively to the word preached, as I know you do? And I can't emphasize this last part enough. Seek to understand But know that you can't understand any of it on your own. It's not about your efforts. Yes, your efforts, God uses them. But it is the Holy Spirit of God who dwells within you that makes clear the Word of God. And so when you read the Word, first pray, Holy Spirit, Help me to understand what I read so that I can see Jesus clearly. You know, are you looking when you read the Bible for something in particular? You ought to be. And they shouldn't be your your worldly concerns, the worries that you have this day. You have something far better in here finding our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, they rebuilt the wall, and then they got to worship, and they got to hear the word preached. And something happened. It showed them their sin. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. All right, so they're being told, the teachers and the leaders are telling the people not to weep and not to mourn, because that's exactly what they were doing. They were not doing happy tears. Oh, I haven't heard the 
the word of the Lord in so long, it's great, and just tears streaming down. They heard the word, and they mourned, because what they heard from the word of the Lord was how they had fallen short. You see, the word of God is a standard. It's a measure by which you can just measure your life. It is a mirror that you can hold up to your life, and what do you see? You see your sin. You see where you have fallen short of God's great commandments. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And in fact, the Israelites knew, the people in Jerusalem knew that the walls were destroyed, they were conquered and exiled and scattered and had to rebuild the wall in the first place because they had fallen away from the Lord. They had not come to the word to listen and obey and be renewed day by day. They had gone after their own heart's desires and they had gone after whatever the world told them that they should worship and follow. And they recognized that their disobedience was the reason for the nation's destruction. And they knew that they still fell short. There might be walls now again, but they're still the same people. And we shouldn't be surprised by this. James chapter 1, verse 22 reads this. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And the people, the one nation that had the word, they didn't do what it said and they deceived themselves. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. And Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. You know, we live in a society where we say live and let live. And let everyone do what they want to do and don't judge. And anyone who does judge is just shouted down as being narrow-minded and hypocritical. And there are Christians who fear judging, or at least saying that they judge, because of that kind of reprisal. But it is the Word of God that judges, and it calls what is righteous and what is sin. And so the people, hearing the word, they were right to mourn. And as you read the word, do you also find things to mourn over? Mourn over? Not just in the world, although such things in the world that we have to lament and mourn. The sinfulness that would cause the Boston Marathon bombing and things that are happening every moment of every day. In this world. But it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. When you read the word, do you see where you fall short 
of the glory of God? Do you see where you fall short of obeying Him with gladness, loving Him with everything that you have and everything that you are, and loving your neighbor? The Word of God is a mirror. And so the psalmist is absolutely right when he says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And the Israelites knew that they did not store up that word. And you and I both know that we don't do this either. And that's when we sin. When we forget the goodness of God presented to us in his word. We have failed. And in all human history, we have all failed except for one, and his name is Jesus. And so the word of the Lord shows us our sin, and it points us to our Savior, Jesus Christ. And Nehemiah tells the people, do not mourn or weep. Do not be grieved. Here's what he said. Go your way. Eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our God. And do not be grieved. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people saying, be quiet. For this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions, and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. All right, if I'm sad about something, and it's something I've done, and I'm mourning, and I'm weeping, no one's going to flip a switch, tell me to stop mourning and start rejoicing. They weren't told, oh no, wait, no, you're doing it all wrong. You're supposed to rejoice today. We'll mourn another day. Rejoice today. See, once again, the word was explained to them and they understood the words that were declared. What was it that was what made clear to them? What was it that was explained that caused them to not mourn but actually to start rejoicing? And the date, the date is actually important. Derek Kidner says that this was Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. All right, why is that, why is that special? Why does that, how does that explain anything? Leviticus 16.29 says what you're supposed to do on the day of atonement, why it's important. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. On the tenth day of the seventh month, you must deny yourselves and not do any work, whether native-born or foreigner or an alien living among you, because on this day, atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then, before the Lord, you will be clean from all your sins. Have I made it clear to you? What did they see? What was before them? They rightly mourned and grieved their sin. In fact, not having had the word read to them in over 70 years, maybe this is the first time that they were mourning and grieving their sin. Certainly the biggest that they've ever mourned it. But 
as great as their sin is, the word of God is saying, God's atonement for them is even greater. And he makes atonement. The Lord makes atonement for his sinful people so that they are clean before him. It's as if they went from understanding, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. And now they've passed over, and they see God himself makes atonement for them. That is something to celebrate. That is what we call renewal. And knowing that and keeping that in mind, that the Lord atoned for their sins, should be what keeps them going and going and going. So that there is constant renewal and constant joy. How did he put it? For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Not just some weird happiness that you have about God being out there, but that he atoned for sins. But as good as the people of Jerusalem had it that day, oh, brothers and sisters, what do we have? John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Verse 14, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. And so we have in Jesus Christ. Christ, the incarnate Word of God. The Word spoken at the beginning of creation is the Word who became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Great was the joy of the Jews because they were told how God made atonement for them. How much greater is our joy every Sunday that the Word is preached and every time we read the Bible, because we see how Jesus Christ made the full and final atonement for our sins. Our hearts can really sing, come, now is the time to worship. Now and every moment from now. See, this isn't just one way to find joy in the world. This is the only true joy that is possible. Joy is only found, can only be found in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ can only be found, his plan of salvation. Where else in the universe does it say that Jesus Christ, for he so loved us, died for our sins while we were still sinners? You only get that in the word. Friends, if you are here visiting today and you have not found this true joy in Jesus Christ, please stick around afterwards. I'd love to talk. Lots of us would love to talk with you. We're not trying to be arrogant. I probably am arrogant a lot, but this, I'm standing on the Word of God. And out of His grace, He gave it to us that we might know Him in salvation, 
in Jesus Christ alone. See, Jesus Christ, they were celebrating Yom Kippur that day. Jesus Christ, though, is our eternal day of atonement. And in the Word, we read how He atoned for our sins on the cross, once for all, dying the death we deserved to die. And so, when I make this call, that I want all of you to be like the Anchandias, to look forward to Sunday worship, and to look most forward to the word preached. I'm not saying it so that you'll pay better attention to me or to make John look better. I'm saying it because Jesus is who we preach. Jesus and him alone. In fact, if you ever hear a word preached from this pulpit, a sermon, a message preached that does not point you to Jesus Christ, I want you to come and tell us because we've screwed up. Because we want you to have joy, a life that is full. And we know, and the Word tells us, that there's only one place that we're going to find that, and that's in Jesus Christ alone. Worship is active. These people listened attentively. Do you know how you can listen attentively? You can ask yourself, how is this sermon driving the truth of the word into my heart, making my sin clear and Jesus Christ even clearer than that? Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word of Christ. To have faith, to believe in Jesus Christ, you need to be a student of the one word. And he is there to be found. So just like I told you before, when you read the Bible with your kids, always be pointing them to Jesus from wherever they are in this. Well, they're only going to learn that from you if you're doing it yourself. Your Savior can be found in these words. The great love of God for you and His plan of salvation. You know, let us be like the psalmist in chapter 1. Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, for he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And I'll leave you with Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Again, whose word is it? This isn't a self-help book. You don't go to this to feel better about yourself. You go to this to see the beautiful Savior, Jesus Christ, and how God the Father sent His only Son for you. And you pick this up, praying, Holy Spirit, show me Jesus as I read this. So let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. 
And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The Apostle Paul, sounds like he's talking about a worship service, isn't it? Doesn't it? Let's pray and let us worship Christ, our risen King. Father in heaven, we give such thanks to you. For you have bridged the gap that we could not cross. And you have revealed yourself to us. Not because you had to, but out of love for us. But we needed you to. Because you created us for yourself. And we are nothing without you. And you show yourself to us. Most clearly in the special revelation of the word which shows us what creation cannot. That you have a plan to rescue us from our sin, from our deserved death and destruction. And that plan is Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, we thank you for for atoning for our sins on the cross. And make us strong, Holy Spirit, in the word that our joy may be full, renewed day by day, and that we might teach and be preachers of the word ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.